Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. So we left off, I think it was part two, we talked about David's story, huh? That was, that was, that was, that was juicy. Yeah, talked about, <laughs> talked about, talked about David's story with Goliath and how everyone else was caught up in the fear of Goliath. And David comes and he, does, he wasn't even interested in the possibility of a victory. He had actually killed this guy like a lion or bear. And all he kept asking about was the spoil. Yes. What did he say will be done for who kills this uncircumcised Philip? That's all I'm interested in. What will the victor get? He wasn't asking, will there or can there be victory? Because what they saw as the armies of Israel, he saw as the armies of God. And that was very instructive. Because they were thinking national pride. Yeah. Armies of Israel. And that was what Goliath capitalized on. Insulting the pride of Israel. The sovereignty of Israel. So it wasn't just a statement to an Israelite. That was the height of desecration. I defy you as an Israelite. Does that make sense? So the average Israelite or Israeli as they are referred to in modern times would have already been pissed off sufficiently enough to explore the possibility of neutralizing Goliath. Just for defaming Israel. Are you here now? Just for attempting to desecrate Israel. Ah, you know what? If we're going to die here, don't talk about Israel like that. But in spite of all this desecration, nobody moved. Nobody moved. Because of a 10 feet giant. Even at that, nobody saw possibility. And then somebody comes who is an Israelite but doesn't see the situation as an Israelite situation. You defy the armies of Israel 80 times. At least. On record. And nobody's doing anything. And this young shepherd boy comes and he checks the whole thing out and he says, Ah, you are insulting the armies of God. So David didn't arrive at the battlefield as an Israelite. He didn't come with national pride. Ah, is Israel insulting like this? He didn't come in, how dare you insult my country? When you're seeing an army flying the Star of David. What, the Israeli flag? That's the Star of David. Yeah. Just in case you didn't know. That white inverted star on the blue background is the Star of David. And that's the standard that they fly most times. So you're here insulting this, you're seeing the Star of David flying. 
and you're insulting it. He didn't, he didn't refer to anything about his nation. He referred to his citizenship. Even in his promissory sense. You, have, you defy the armies of God. Because it's God you have defied. You are dead. So let's not even talk about you being dead. You are dead. What, what are they going to pay me? Are you getting the story now? Because it's God you have picked a fight against. You're finished. So let's talk about the spoil. And then he starts to talk about the lion and the bear on different occasions. And that is instructive because God will not bring you to a place you are not conscious of. God will not bring you to a place you are not conscious of. If you'll enjoy the benefits of a place, you'll have to develop consciousness about it. And that's the believer's entire earthly journey. It's a journey of developing the discipline of consciousness. Yes. The believer's earthly journey. It's a journey of developing the discipline of consciousness. Christ consciousness. Church consciousness. Righteousness consciousness. Willingness. We will never exhaust the consciousness series. Joy consciousness. Power consciousness. Peace consciousness. Grace consciousness. Kingdom consciousness. Rest consciousness. Possibility consciousness. Victory consciousness. You can't exhaust it. It's a journey of taking what you have been given. Does that make sense? Yeah. You have been given all things, right? That pertain to life and God. And that's 2 Peter 1 and 3. According to the knowledge of him. Who called us? Nah, you missed it. Put that text on the screen. 2 Peter 1 and 3. According as his divine power. It's 2 Peter 1 and 3, isn't it? Yes. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Stay here. According as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power or his ability has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, God in his divine power owes you nothing. If there's a lack on the believer's part, it's not on the part of the giver. If there's a lack on the believer's part, it is not on the part of the giver. Except if scripture is lying. But between you and scripture, sir, you are the liar. All day and every day and ten times on Sunday. (laughs) Between you and scripture, you're the liar. Truth of the matter is this. Let's not even talk scripture. Let's talk Bible. Yeah? (laughs) Let's talk Bible now. No, these are two different things. Let's talk Bible now. 4,000 year old. When I mean 4,000 year old, it was compiled over a period 
of 4,000 years. Right? Um, scholars dispute um, the first book of the Old Testament. Actually, it wasn't the books of Moses. According to dating of biblical chronology, and, and the scriptures are not exactly written for you to get a timeline start to finish of events. So sometimes when you, when you read the synoptic gospels, the synoptic gospels are not as synoptic as they appear. In other words, they are not as laid out in the timeline. Uh, you have to literally deconstruct all the incidents in the three gospels. Well, you must add John, but Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke particularly all say similar things that are missing in John. Then John has a unique approach to things he writes that are neither found in Matthew, Mark, and, in, and, and Luke. Hence, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are really called the synoptic gospels or gospels that are incongruent with one another as per the events that they write about or capture. John just comes from a totally different place. He doesn't start with genealogy, doesn't start with nothing. He just, in the beginning, God, there was a word. What else with God? You don't hear Zachariah, you don't hear, you don't, so you don't hear Gabriel, you don't hear Mary. John just starts. Straight up. The same way he starts first John. Same way. Doesn't have time for, for preambles. So to understand Matthew, Mark, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke particularly, you have to deconstruct all the narratives and line them up. So something happens here before the triumphant entry. Something happens there after the triumphant entry. Are they the same things? Two men on the way to Jericho healed. One man on the way to Jericho healed. Are they the same things? Yeah. Feeding of the 4,000 and then feeding of the 5,000 and then crossing the sea like the two storms we saw in victory consciousness. Are they the same things? And then you deconstruct all of them from the books and line them up before you get a timeline. Are you following me now? Yeah. And that's why Christianity misses very little details like when the wise men got to Jesus. He was not in the manger. Yeah? Scripture says, and when they came to the house where the toddler Jesus was, it changes from infant to toddler in the original language. And there's a difference between an infant and a toddler. And then you see that those guys, according to Bible history would have followed the star for at least two years. Traveling from as far as they came all the way to Bethlehem. And they would have gotten there and spoken to Herod. And Herod is like, oh yeah, call the priests. Because you know it was the priests that gave Jesus away. It was the high priest of the Jews that told Herod, it's true. It is written in the scriptures that the king will be born of Bethlehem in Judea. So the priests knew that the Messiah was coming. And they knew he was coming from Bethlehem in Judea. So they tell Herod, and obviously they're like, oh, right, okay. This guy's, how long have you guys been on the road? They're like, well, roughly about two years since the star appeared. So Herod says, says, go and take every Jewish boy two years. Because if Jesus had just been born, 
and he was two days old or three days old, and the guy arrived, then they would have just looked for every newborn baby one week or two weeks and, and under. And it says, take every, every toddler, boy, born to the Jews in the past two years. Because in that timeline, we'll get Jesus. And in that timeline, the two-year-old, at least Jesus, will not have been in the manger. Because the census that took them home had long since finished. So you must deconstruct accounts to get a chronology. Does that make sense? So it doesn't necessarily line up in that order. Why did I say all this? Because as, as far as the completion of the Bible is concerned, the oldest written book is the book of Job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is theological arguments that suggest that the narrative of Job happened before Abraham. Oh, yes. Linking his geographical location to around Ur of the Chaldeans, from where Abraham's father, Terah and Nahor, show up. And that's why you can't find the narrative of Job in the chronology that Moses captured. This is just a few fun facts. But I'm going somewhere. You know I'm always going somewhere. So you add the timeline of Job and then go back to, to Genesis and the book of Moses and line the whole thing up right down to the last books that were written, which are the, mostly the Pauline Epistles. And you have a 4,000 year period. 4,000 year period from when somebody began to say something and then somebody else says something. You have an almost 800 year period between when, as I said, for unto us a child is born to when Jesus was born. Almost 800 year period from Isaiah to Jesus. Yes. yes. Yeah, 700 to 800 years by Bible dating. They're not very accurate, but somewhere around between 700 to 800 years from Isaiah to the birth of Jesus. So the entire Bible stretches around over a 4,000 year period. It therefore follows that one single individual human being, dead or alive, doesn't have the jurisprudence to discredit the entire Bible. That's where I was going. No single person has enough clout No single person has enough intelligence, hindsight, foresight, insight to stand at any fringe of time and discredit 4,000 years of literature. Literature. <laughs> you know, Bible. Literature. 
Jonathan, let's look at it as literature first. David's star is flying. And they just got up after everybody got tired, plus the British got tired of sponsoring crusades in, in Palestine, Israel. They just got up and went to the UN and said, can we give this people their country already? And in the 1940s, a nation, Isaiah prophesied it. He said, can a nation be built in a day? So when they got up and announced the United Nations Charter that brought about the modern state of Israel, it was fulfillment of scripture about the possibility that yes, a nation will be birthed in a day. So no single person, atheist, new ageist, philosopher, theologian, free thinker, bound thinker, religious person unreligious person as long as you are a person this book senior you you cannot superimpose your finite thought finite my new school fickle Fleeting opinion in your short existence and your less than one percent of explored IQ level stand and argue with a view to discrediting the entirety. Of the writings that make up the Bible. Nobody can. Then talk of the scriptures. Who was. In the beginning. Scripture. Because books. Had not been written. When scripture started preaching. <laughs> so there has been scripture. And there has been scripture preaching. Before the books. From which you can find the scripture. Were written. <laughs> Are you following me now? So in in. Actual fact, the pre-existence of scripture necessitated the writing of the Bible. Not the, not the other way around. Because before the Bible was written, there has been scripture and scripture has been preaching. This is why Paul, who was a lawyer and was well read, and I've explained to you how he was from a privileged family in Tarsus. Remember? Yes, you know, according to um, New Testament theologians, there actually was a direct family relationship between Paul's family and Gamaliel's family. Yes, Such that um, uh, um, archaeological evidence has it that it was their family that actually took a young Saul to Gamaliel, their family friend, and said, train this boy for us. 
because aristocrats in Jewish aristocrats in the times when the Romans dominated Israel or Palestine at the time always had an edge over the peasants. Yes, right. Always. So, and Paul's family was wealthy enough, privileged enough to set him up for a higher level of standard of living. That's why he will stand and say, if anybody wants to boast, I'm much more. Do you understand? He had, he had major pedigree. That was a major pedigree. It wasn't your pushover guy. He wasn't, he wasn't your illiterate fisherman. <laughs> Do you understand now? Yeah. He wasn't your illiterate fisherman that just dropped his net and followed Jesus. That one day. Yeah, but, but that wasn't Paul's, that wasn't Paul's pedigree. And that's why sometimes people confuse themselves by thinking that Paul was upholding the law. Because of how dexterously he handled the law in his teaching of grace. Are you following me now? In his teaching of grace. And that is why the Berean Jews in Acts 17 went back. To go and confirm what Paul was saying. Not the Berean Christians. People that distort God's word. Keep coming and saying, yeah, you know, you must be a Berean. When you hear anything from the Bible, you go and confirm it. That's, that's Antichrist. First of all, the Bereans were not Christians. They were Jews. They were Judaists under the law. What made them noble was not that they studied. What made them noble was that they did not attack the apostles the way the ones in Thessalonica attacked the apostles and beat them to death. And they had to run by night. That's brought me here now. These guys got to Thessalonica got into the synagogue as was their custom, looked for their fellow Jews and began to preach the gospel of grace to them from the law, inside the house of the law. Picture it. It's one thing to preach grace in what abiding house at the hub. It's another thing to enter the Jewish synagogue. Synagogue way. Where on the stone rostrum there is a big scroll yes. of the law, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. the Torah, yes. and you start to read it, and you are telling Jews, you see that place about circumcision. This is what he says. It's of the heart. You see where it says that if you are leprous from top to bottom, you are cleansed. If one part of you is not leprous. You are unclean. Yeah, yes. Should be the other way around, logically speaking. Yes, yes. Logically speaking, yeah. Leviticus 16. Logically speaking, if you are, if part of you is leprous, we should be able to say, ah, you're okay. You can stay with us, right? But in scripture it says, if your entire body is covered in white leprosy, you are clean. But if some of your body is covered in leprosy and other parts are not covered, you are unclean. So you will show yourself to the priest and the priest will declare you unclean. 
And then you're wondering, what does that mean? Leviticus 13, verse 12. And if leprosy breaks out all over the skin, and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore, from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, he's covered with leprosy. Next verse. Then the priests are considered, and if indeed, if the leprosy has covered all his body, Allah no more calls salvation. He shall pronounce him clean. Who has a soul? It has all turned white. But the free gift is not like the offense, for many offenses led to the gift. Many offenses. Many offenses. Head to toe. Full offenses brought the free gift. Because by this point, sin is exceedingly sinful, triggering the supply of salvation. AKA made clean. By who? The priest. But you see some person who feels like she's very intelligent. He knows the Bible. Hey, the Bible doesn't make any sense. How can the Bible make sense? How can you just stand and say that there's somebody who's, who's has leprosy from top to bottom? When they, all the leprosy has covered him. Then it's clean. It's your, your God is confused, sir. You're the one that doesn't have sense. And because you believe that it's only you and the Holy Spirit that nobody can teach you. You and the Holy Spirit to see and you don't have sense. You plus the Holy Spirit in you. You still have no sense while thinking you are intelligent. <laughs> How will God say that you should not plant two, two different things on your vineyard when we have cocoa and, and maize growing together? Well, because you are not seeing a veil has covered your eyes. A veil has covered your eyes. Because you can't mix law and grace. You cannot mix law. You cannot mix law. And where is the ground where something is sown. No, Jesus defined it himself. In a parable he gave, where he said, the ground is where? Your heart. The seed is what? The word. Who defined it? Jesus. Not to the crowd, to his disciples. He called his disciples apart. He said, unto you are given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. I've told them parable, they've gone wondering what has he talked about. Now you come. Let me explain this to you. First of all, he says, the seed is the word. After he told the crowd, the soil went out to sow. Yes, then he said, the ground is your heart. So when he sows the seed, it falls on different kinds of your heart. Yes, so against this backdrop, you now come back to Deuteronomy, where it now says to you that don't sow two different kinds of seed or crops on your ground. Where is your ground? What is the seed? So in chapter 11 of Romans, Paul will now come and say, hey, if it is grace, it cannot be works, otherwise grace cannot be said to be grace. If it is law, it cannot be works, grace, or else law cannot be said, or works cannot be said to be works. Two different seeds cannot be on the same ground. You are not a DJ. That is what Jesus meant when he spoke to Moses in the law. Yes, sir, yes, sir. 
say, ah, your God doesn't, how can you, how, how is that logical? How is it logical? How can, how, how can it possible to not plant two seeds? You think he was talking about agriculture? And so all through that period, Israelites are planting only maize here. Only ground, not here. And the, the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Hivites and the Amorites and the, and the Moabites and the Edomites are asking them, you know you're not maximizing this ground. You, you know that this farm, uh, you know as you're having maize here, you can also put cocoa here. And as you put cocoa here, you can also put, you are not wise. Why is it God said we should not do it? Why did God say it? Oh, you see, if you ask me now, who are God ask? I don't know. But he has said one day that a time will come when the hidden things will be revealed that would have been the standard Israelite answer to people that questioned them about practices they had no answer to they said we do not know but the scriptures the same scriptures have said that the hidden things will be revealed so if you ask me how who will I ask is the glory of a king to conceal a matter is the glory of sons to search it out <laughs> Who the sons are when they will manifest, who will bring them forth? I, I don't know. There's prophecies that are talking about a Messiah coming and, and about the Spirit of God being poured upon, upon our flesh. So I guess we have to wait until that day comes. Until then, maize here, corn here, cocoa there. That's the same thing it meant by don't wear two different fabrics on your body. Same thing. Can you, how can you mix cotton and polyester? You be like, ah, God, God is so unreasonable. You're the one that doesn't have any sense. Yes. Because Israel, Israel, Isaac, and Ishmael are brought and explained in Galatians four as two covenants, not two boys. Not two boys. Hagan, Sarah. Are brought up in the same Galatians 4 as two mountains, not two women. Jezebel is brought up as a spirit and a system in Revelation, not a king's wife. Hidden things. So you read Jezebel, Ahab's wife, a woman. With Jezebel in Revelation, a Babylonian system and a spirit. But there was indeed a woman called Jezebel. There was indeed a guy called Isaac. <laughs> so one single person with your unharnessed IQ. Take on 4,000 years of writings. Containing scripture that existed before the writings. Galatians 3.8. And scripture, I love it. Scripture. Foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles through faith. Preach the gospel. Scripture. Preach gospel before Bible. To Abraham. Scripture, so there was scripture yes. preaching yes. gospel beforehand. 
When did the gospel begin? At the foundation of the world. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When the Lamb. That's beforehand. So scripture, knowing, for knowing, scripture appeared when in Genesis 12, someone appeared to Abraham. Was it a book? No. A scroll? No. Who appeared to Abraham? Who? No, sir. Genesis 12. No, Genesis 12. Open your Bible. Thank you. Angels came later. Abraham's journey begins with the Lord. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, and this is how Abraham is brought into the picture. His name was mentioned first in the end of Genesis 11, in the genealogy that was being mentioned. And then verse chapter 12, the Lord appeared to Abraham, saying, look at it, and said, go to King James, King Jimmy. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto thy seed. That's the first thing. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said in thy seed. So, what? Who? Appeared to Abraham. Who preached to Abraham? What does Galatians call that Lord that appeared to? Go back to Galatians 3 and verse 8. Galatians 3 8. And the scripture. With capital S. Foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel. To Abraham saying, In you all the nations. Next verse. Verse 9. So then, those who our faith are blessed, we believe in Abraham. Keep going. For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse, which is written. Curse is anyone who does not continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. 12. Yet, the law is not of faith. But the man who does them shall live by them. And then Christ has redeemed us. And Abraham heard this because scripture showed up before the Bible was written. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because by the time scripture hear me carefully, who wrote Genesis? Moses. Who wrote Exodus? Moses. Leviticus. Moses. Numbers. Moses. Deuteronomy. Moses. We're in Genesis chapter 12. Is Moses there? No. Has Moses been born? No. So has Moses started to write? No. no way. But scripture is speaking, saying. Yes, sir. Okay. 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 
wrote Genesis? Who wrote Exodus? Leviticus. Numbers. Deuteronomy. Good. Where are we talking about this gospel? Genesis 12. Scripture is preaching the gospel to Abraham. 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 The first books of the Bible are written by who? Moses, you have to get to Exodus chapter 2, 1 and 2. You have to go past Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his 12 sons. It is from his 12 sons that a tribe shows up called Levi, from which you draw Moses' father and mother and then Moses. Coming after Miriam. It was not even the firstborn. Then Moses has to grow up and be 40, kill a man, run away, stay with Jethro and be 40. And then come back to Egypt and then run away with the whole of Israel at about 80. He died at 120. So let's say somewhere between his 90th and 120th years on the earth was where he started to write after he encountered Exodus 33 and 34. But scripture. Because it was when he saw the back of God. In Exodus 34. That he got a glimpse of eternity past. And started to write. <laughs> but before the Bible, the scripture has been speaking. So you can't discredit the Bible. How much more? Scripture. The Bible cannot discredit the scriptures. Cannot. The scripture actually validates the Bible. Scripture came first. The scripture preached saying, the Lord appeared to Abraham saying. So when Paul writes to Timothy and says, we know him in whom we believed. There's a depth that it should carry. When he says, we know him in whom we have believed. Are you here now? So the law has all these things. And the problem of the Israelites is that they promised what they could not do. Moses came, I think, in Exodus 21 or so, and says, hey, this is this thing, the Lord is cutting with blood. You will do it. And Israel says, yes, we will do it. <laughs> Their problem started when they promised they will keep the law. Because they are very stubborn people. Israel. 
Israel that forced God to give them a king. He will tax you. He will take your lands. He will marry your children at will. He say, it's okay. He gave them a king. It's not good. They, they, they just, uh, just give us a king. What was his qualification? Taller than everybody. The king they chose could not find donkeys. And he was a pastoralist. He was into animals. And he could not read donkey hooves and tell where his father's donkeys went or there. He was a king like all the nations. This is what a king would do. Hey, we want him like that. These are very stubborn people. These stubborn people with their law that they only understand one dimensionally are sitting in their synagogue (laughs) on the Shabbat. You walk in, carry this, what I just did now, to the law. You carry it and open Leviticus 13 and say, you see that place? Okay, let me, let's, let's finish it. Leviticus 13. Why in verse 14? I want to explain to you what happened in Berea. So you just, you not be jolly people to argue blindly. Hey, you remember the Berean Christians, everything you say, you go and check it. You don't have faith. Go back to verse 13. The priest shall consider, and indeed his leprosy has covered all his body. He shall pronounce him clean who has the sword. It has all turned white. He clean. So be, next time you hear, it shall be white as snow. But when raw flesh appears on him, it shall be unclean. 15. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean. For the raw flesh. Raw flesh. Raw flesh. It's unclean. What does raw flesh expose or bring about? Blood. The life of a thing is in it. You shall not eat flesh with it. Because by what shall you be redeemed? Whose blood? Not yours. So when we're seeing raw flesh, we're seeing self-effort. Sorry. You are so unclean. So now, so now, so now, Paul now enters Thessalonica in Acts 17, carries the same scroll and begins to show them these same things about the gospel from the law. Two fabrics. Oh, Jew, this is what it means. Two different crops on your vineyard. Acts 17. They started a ruckus cacophony of gargantuan proportions. Acts 17 in verse 1. Verse 1. Paul as his custom was, as his custom was, custom, 
went into them and for three Shabbats, the holiest day, reasoned with them from the scriptures. In the time of Paul reasoning with them, scriptures was Genesis to Malachi. Yes, sir. That was scriptures. There was 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Reasoned with them from the scriptures, comma, explaining this, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ, wait, 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 hold on, go back now to the previous slide. Paul reasoned to them from what were the scriptures? Because by Acts 17, Paul had not written letters. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it took a while for the church to receive Paul's letters as the rest of scripture. Peter explains that later. So, for from when thou was a child, Timothy, thou hast known Genesis to Malachi that are able to make you wise unto salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Genesis to Malachi, sir. First Corinthians 15, for I began to deliver to you how that Christ died according to the scriptures. They shall look upon him whom they've smitten. Scriptures. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So, scriptures. Not a bone of his body shall be broken. Scriptures. You shall not abandon my soul in Seoul or live in the place of the dead. Scriptures. Unto us a child is born, the son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Scriptures. A virgin, as I said in chapter 9, shall conceive and be a child. A virgin, as I said it. Scriptures. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We cannot look upon him. Scriptures. Out of Bethlehem I have called my own. Scriptures. From Egypt I have called my son. Scriptures. Remember? From Egypt I have called my son. Where did Jesus run to? At 12 years old, where was he called out from? Same Egypt, son. According to the so Paul starts to reason with them, explaining and demonstrating Acts 17, verse 2, I believe, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ from the scriptures had to suffer and rise again. Hey, Micah 7, 8. Hey, Lamarcos. Micah 7 and 8. Bring, we'll come back here. Micah 7. My, I, think Micah, I think it's Micah 7 and verse 8. Gloat not over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be light to me. Verse 9. Verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my case and execute justice for me. He will bring me forth to the light. I will see his righteousness. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. For the Lord made him who knew no sin to become sin. 
So don't gloat over me, my enemy, sin and death. Oh, I fall, I will rise. And then I will say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your So careful that you are celebrating that I died. And right there, embedded in Micah, you see Christ. There is hope for a tree when it is cut down. And Paul is explaining this to them. From the same Genesis to Malachi. Paul did not have Paul to explain how Jesus died. And so he's. Go back to Acts 17 and 3. Explaining and demonstrating. Verse 3, Acts 17 and 3. Explaining and demonstrating. That the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying. This Jesus who I preach to you is the Christ. That Christ that the scripture talks about. So he's telling them, this Jesus I preach to you. And they knew about this Jesus. Well, just a few years ago he died. By the timeline of this writing. By the timeline of this happening. Well, just a few years ago that Jesus died. A few years ago that he resurrected and ascended to heaven before the very eyes of people who saw him. Who at the time of 1 Corinthians 15, some were still alive, yeah. as Paul says. Yeah. He says he appeared to some who are alive with us to this day, yeah. as at the time of 1 Corinthians 15. Yes, sir. Verse 4. And some were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Next verse. But the Jews who were not persuaded, Greeks, Gentiles, believed. Yes, sir. Influential women joined Paul and Silas. Jews who were not persuaded. Why? Because you are telling us about Jesus Christ from our law. From the scriptures. Telling us grace. Telling us a lot of works. Showing us Esau and Jacob and how Jacob got it by grace. And Rebecca being a type of Christ and Esau being a type of works and self-righteousness. The Jews who were not persuaded became envious. Took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob. Set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Next verse. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What is the upside down? Preaching us grace from our law. Are you following me? The law we have been hearing every Shabbat for God knows how long. Okay, Have come here too. Verse 7. Jason had harbored them and these are all acting, look at this carefully, contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. Trying to incite the Romans to turn against them. By making Caesar feel threatened. Next verse. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Verse 9. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. That's how they got from Thessalonica to Berea. Verse 11. When they arrived, again... 
Because verse 1 says Paul, as was his gospel. As he arrived in Berea, Paul had no place else to go. He didn't go to the village square. He didn't rent a hotel hall. He didn't rent the hub studio one. Paul looked for the synagogue again. Where he knew the Jews would gather. And went straight there, verse 11. There were more fair-minded. Who, who were these? Jews in Berea. Were more fair-minded than the Jews in Thessalonica in that they received the word that Paul was saying with readiness and then went to search the scriptures daily they had not believed I will show you in the next verse they had not believed Paul delivered the same gospel that had them create an uproar in Thessalonica that made them smuggle out by night Preach the same thing in Berea, but the Berean guys were more fair-minded. In other words, they were not mob action people. They were not jungle justice people. Because Berea at the time was actually a more advanced class of people in their exposure to civilization than Thessalonica was at the time. Thessalonica was a port, of course, P-O-R-T, a shipping port. It was a melting port of different cultures. But there were a lot of Jews that were very, very goonish in nature. The ones in Berea were a little bit more aristocratic and a bit more tolerant, you know. It's not, not like here where once you catch a thief and the next thing you want to do is find a tire and burn it. Does that make sense? So they get to Berea and the ones in Berea were more level-headed. So you are saying something strange. Okay, we don't, we, well, I mean, we're all for knowledge and everything. We don't have to beat you up because what you're saying is, is different, is averse to what we know. Yeah, we'll, we'll listen to you. Have you finished? And give us a few days. These Bereans now sit down with the scriptures every day and start to search if what Paul said to them of Jesus being the Christ from the Genesis to Malachi, if indeed it is true. Because any open-minded person handling the scriptures will lock onto the message of the scriptures. Any reasonably minded, any open minded, any fair minded, any impressionist mind, any paradigm that wants to know truth and not fight it, sitting with the scriptures will see him. So the Bereans are like, okay, you're giving us this wonderful message. Yeah, thank you. We are open to, to new info. Just give us some time. And so they gather themselves together. And start to comb the scriptures, searching daily to find out whether these things were so. Now stay in verse 11 and let's, let me see, maybe TPT of the message. Are you getting anything? They found the Jews of Berea was of more noble were of more noble character. And more, oh, I like, I like this. See that? Then those of Thessalonica, they were hungry to learn and eagerly received the word. Oh, and I've never seen it in TPT before. Every day they open the scrolls. You see that? The scrolls of scripture. Go on. To search and examine them. To verify that what Paul taught them was true. The impression here is not that every time Paul came to teach. Every time their pastor taught. They would go back and open the scripture to see whether what their pastor said was true before they believed. That's not what the scripture is saying. They had heard a brand new, totally different message. A radical departure from what they understood. The same books to be saying. Yes, sir. Paul takes the same scrolls. 
Isn't that what caused them to start wanting to beat Jesus? The same scroll. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the brokenhearted. Bind up those who are healed. Declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Close the scroll. Sat down. First word out of his mouth. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You. Carpenter. Fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. So they knew the scriptures. They did not know the person. The Christ showed up. They couldn't identify him, even though they knew the scripture that said the Christ will show up. And where the Christ will show up from. And how according to Zechariah 9, he will show up. Riding a donkey's donkey. Because Jesus on the donkey was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9. There were two donkeys in the triumphant entry. The donkey and her young. Prophesied in Zechariah, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just and having salvation. But he's lowly and riding on a donkey. Actually, a colt, the foal, the baby. So when in Matthew he's showing up and the donkeys, Jesus told them, he said, go, you will find a donkey and it's young, tied. Tell them you have need of it. Put stuff on the donkey. Jesus rode on the foal. Yes, sir. And the mother followed for balance and equilibrium. So see verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. See the first word of the next verse. Old. Paul is saying all these things from Genesis to Malachi that we've been reading and we've never seen and now we are seeing. Hey. So indeed, these things are true. On account of that, they believed so when they were searching to see if things were true, they had not believed. They had just received information because they were open-minded. An open-minded unbeliever with good intention. Not a Berean Christian. Because when they believed the gospel, they transitioned from daily searching to confirm to receiving by faith and enjoying the good news of the gospel. So it works. I works. I said all of that on my journey of explaining to you that if you have not received what God has given in full, it's not on the part of the giver. Because the giver cannot lie. That was the whole rigmarole to prove to you that the scriptures cannot lie. So if the scripture says that his divine power has given us, 2 Peter 1 and 3, all things, put it back up, that we need for life and godliness, it means God owes us nothing. And he cannot lie. Because even before this, the Bible, he has been preaching the truth. The scriptures. Are you here? So, if he has given us all things that we need for life and godliness, 
And we don't have some of those things manifest in our lives. What is the missing link? God or you? You in what sense? First, Second Peter 1 and verse 3. The next slide. That's where the next slide comes in. Through the knowledge. He has given you all things you need. For life and godliness. Or things that pertain to life and godliness. How do you access it? Who got that? So absence of the knowledge of him who called you. Is absence of the harnessing or enjoying. Everything for life and godliness that God truly has given you. So one son of God is doing well and has sound mind and is very stable. Another one is constantly oscillating and vacillating, like tied in and tied out. What's the difference? Knowledge. And harnessing of what God has given two of, two of them in equal measure. The one who is stable doesn't have any more of what God gave than the one who is vacillating. No. That's why we must be careful in church how we share the grace. Because yeah. when you are sharing it, there are some people who can get more than others. You know those people that go for, for wedding reception and the first drinks on the table, they will pack it first. Put in their big bag that has the fake about Gucci on it. If they make sure it's a Gucci bag or, or LV, so you cannot suspect them with that bag that they will tea rice. Please, who knows what I'm talking about? Please, who has done what I'm talking about? And then once you clear the ones on the table, you start shouting, Wait, they have not served us here. They have not served us at this table. Serve us. That's what happens every time human beings are sharing something. Anything. And if you are sharing anything, some will get more than others. Mm -hmm. The grace of God is, is the constant force in the life of a believer. Constant. The grace of God be with you. No. Go and check your Bible. Be. It's in italics. Go and read all the ending of Paul's letters and the beginnings. When you see be there, or will be, check, it's in italics. Any word you see in italics in King James was not there in the original language. It was added by translators. So every time Paul says the grace of God be with you, check what he means is the grace of God with you. Paul was not praying. He was not praying. There's no time. Mm -mm. He was, on the contrary, affirming what they had. The grace of God with you. If you are going to add a word, you should have added the grace of God is with you. Grace of God with you. Paul was not praying for them to receive grace. And you having all sufficiency in all things shall abound unto every good work. Grace of God is with you. Because God is able. So his divine power has given you all things according to the knowledge. Consciousness. 
Philemon 1, 5 or 6. That the communication of your faith, I think it's 6. Philemon 1, 6. That the sharing, give me King James, please. I like, I like communication. Yes, I like it, I like it, I like it, I like it. Yes, 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 yes. That the communication of thy faith, communication of your faith might be come effectual by the, look at this, next word, acknowledging. Somebody say acknowledging. acknowledging. Say acknowledging. acknowledging. Of every good thing. Every good thing which is where? Jesus. In where? Jesus. And what happened? All you need to do is what? Acknowledge. According as his divine power has given you all that you need, all that is pertaining to life and godliness, through the knowledge. You can't despise knowledge and enjoy every good thing which is already in you. Why is it in you? Because it has been given to you. Ephesians 1 3. Thanks be to the God of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, 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 who has blessed us with every, 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 every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In you, in Christ. So what's missing? Knowledge. And in the case where you have consciousness, what's missing? Basically, you don't have where you have knowledge. What's missing? What's missing? Consciousness. Or acknowledging. That's what's missing. So the believer's entire earthly journey is a journey of the acquisition of the discipline of consciousness. So I will keep shouting it. Whoever catches it, watch your life. Watch whatever, whoever catches it, watch your life. Quote and recite everything you are in Christ Jesus from now till eternity. You will not apprehend it until you acknowledge it consciously. Because God owes you nothing. God owes you nothing. He's giving you everything. But he has everything. So now it's your consciousness. Yes, sir. And once you come to, once you acknowledge, once you're conscious of what is yours, there's no force that can stand in your way. That's why I put here that God, do you know all I've been saying to you is from one line, God will never bring you to a place you are not conscious of. Yes, <laughs> That's, that's all I wrote. All I've been speaking about is one line. God will never bring you to a place that you're not conscious of. 
The next line after that is, God did not tell Abraham to look at where he was, but to look from where he was. But, but you get this. It's a consciousness journey. Yeah, you cannot overemphasize the place of a believer's consciousness. You can't. Somebody believes he can sit on a stick and concentrate long enough until he balances the equilibrium of his entire body weight on a stick without the spirit of God. Sir, believers, you are joking. You are joking. The Hindu will never take you seriously. The Buddhist will never. He sits down and he focuses his thoughts long enough to do intergalactic travel, to, to jump time zones in his looking. And the sensei will sit down. The Japanese master. Or sensei, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But sensei will sit down and keep his thoughts long enough to be in one spot and his thoughts transcend geographical locations. It, it is a thing. Yeah, it's not cartoon. It's a thing. And his thoughts transcend time locations and time zones. Projects and he locks onto someone doing something somewhere. He comes back into his reality and disseminates that information without the spirit of God. You are forming righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are forming maturity. No, sir. None of us have apprehended. None of us. It takes a consciousness to lock in on something. And that's what is missing in the believer's walk of faith. Not just talk of faith. That's what's missing. Consciousness. Consciousness. Lack of consciousness is what sponsors forgetfulness. Yes. Yes. If you have a forgetfulness epidemic, it is the absence of consciousness. Because once you are conscious of something, you no longer think about it. I taught you that in the Christ conscious believer. It comes to you as first nature. You have wound up, you have removed your seatbelt, you have switched off the car and the AC and come out and locked your car. You didn't think about it. It all happens in five seconds. And sometimes you have to go back to check if you actually locked your car. Has it happened to you before, Dallas? Because as you're packing... Leg brake, switch off, AC, lights off, ignition off, key out, windows up, out of the car, slam the car, lock the car in five seconds. And then you're asking yourself, wait, did I, did I lock the car? And so you go back and go on. Check. Because you didn't even hear, see the door, the security beep. You didn't hear the cuckoo if he has one. You just... And then you go and check and you realize, I actually did lock it. Because you have become conscious of the security approach to locking your car. That it now comes to you as first nature. You're home, you get home, you're on the phone. And you're on the phone, you're like that. The phone is, phone is there. And you have opened your security, what do you call that thing? Boglary proof protector. You have unlocked it. You have opened. You have locked it. You have opened your door. You have gone in. You have locked it. And then you are still on the phone. And you finish. You're like, did I lock my security door? 
Because it's now first nature to you. That's what consciousness does. You know how you got there? By remembering that the year you moved into your house, that same year, three people on your street were robbed. Who can relate with this? <laughs> or you have a friend who was robbed because they felt it was not too late now, so why should they lock the burglary door? And you were just there, just gisting. <laughs> and after that, sense. Eh? Not just any sense, high sense. Nowadays, you have not entered your room yet, but you have locked it from inside. <laughs> Don't ask me how. So by the time you are inside, you have already locked yourself from inside. That's the height of your wokeness. Because something triggered consciousness. So what you are not excelling at is what you are not conscious of. Full stop. I should have informed you. I didn't think to. I didn't remember to. I did. I shouldn't have. I, I, I skipped. You are not conscious. Because what you are conscious of, you excel at. Who you are conscious of, you prize highly. What you hold as sacred, you do not desecrate. Ever. Ever. So I can teach consciousness all day and every day and not exhaust it. Because the difference between here and there is what you're conscious of. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Consciousness is the difference between where you are and where you ought to be. Consciousness. It's the difference between where you are and where you ought to be. You can't live your life in retrospect. Live your life after the fact. After the fact. I shoulda, woulda, coulda. I should have been there. I could have done that. I would have gone there. Now I see. Now I see. Life doesn't always play back in reverse. No, it doesn't. Consciousness is the distance between where you are and where you ought to go. Are you conscious of it? Is your thought locked on it? You can't fail. Listen to me carefully. You cannot fail. At anything you're conscious of. Yes, Ever. You can't blame God for where you are. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nobody can. Whatever it is you're dealing with in your life, whatever the state, your relationship, your marriage, your business, your educational pursuit, your vocation, your health, your financial state, your ambitions, and your Goals. Nobody can blame the giver for where they are. Because God doesn't give in measures. He gives all at once. All. So really, the rest of it is your consciousness. And like I said, telling you in part one of possibility consciousness, how much of capacity you allow that to build in you. Yes, Do you remember that? Yes, yeah. How much capacity you allow that to build in you? 
So Abraham, let me go to the second, second, second sentence in my notes. Abraham did not, God did not tell Abraham to look at where he was. God told Abraham to look from where he was. From where? I was looking at Ephesians 3 this morning. And um, let's, let's look at verse 19. Uh, actually, the, the prayer starts from 17. But I need, I, need, I need it to contextualize verse 20 for us quickly. Are we doing okay? Yes, sir. Now, religion generally is averse. That means religion hates and does not believe in divorce. Religion believes that when you divorce, it's ungodly. And religion is right, wrongly. In other words, the concept of, of marriage being forever is right. But the application of the concept of divorce in church settings is wrong. But generally, religion frowns at divorce. Generally. What divorce highlights is an amplification of what marriage highlights. Which is an expression of Christ and the church. Ephesians 5 makes it clear. For this cause, I think it was 31 or 32 or 33, for the shall a man leave, Ephesians 5, shall, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined, 31, leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and this is a mystery. This man leaving father and mother, joining to his wife and becoming one flesh, is a great mystery. The reason why it's such a great mystery is because it's not about man and wife I'm talking. It is a great mystery, put it back up, because I speak. Because in human times, there's no mystery about it. It's a man falling in love with a woman, leave it, uh, marry her inside the same house. Uh, hey, what is mystery about that? There's no mystery to falling in love and marrying. Rebecca Isaac lifted up his eyes from a distance and saw Rebecca and loved her. No mystery. <laughs> Took her into his mother's tent, slept with her, she became his wife. Straightforward. Very easy, no complications. <laughs> but this one is a great mystery because I'm speaking concerning Christ. And the church put it back up in the TPT and in the message and the NLT. For this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and lovingly hold on to his wife since the two have been become joined as one flesh. Keep going. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty. A great and sacred mystery meant to be a vivid example of Christ. And the church, 32 in the message. This is a huge mystery. And I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ. NLT. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration. That's why I've said over and over, if you preach in a wedding ceremony, you didn't preach Christ. Yes, 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 yes. The wedding was a fraud, even if the, mar- even if the marriage is real. Yes, 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 yes. We wasted a ceremony. Yes, 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 yes. Two people married, they didn't preach Christ. We yes, yes. wasted the ceremony. Yes, even if they lived happily after. Yes. 
Because every time two people marry, another picture is added to the canvas of Christ and Jesus. Another color is splashed upon the canvas of the illustration of Christ and the church. Every time. So marriage is a blowout of the understanding of divorce. So marriage is about Christ and the church. Marriage is about Christ and the church. Marriage is about Christ and the church. That's why God hates divorce. He hates divorce. He doesn't make divorce an unforgivable sin. Or even a sin. But don't let what happens to humans dictate that that's what happens with God. God doesn't like women, mothers, abandoning their babies. It is not the God order for a mother to abandon a child she is feeding, breastfeeding particularly. And God says, through the prophet Isaiah, can a woman forget her suckling child? No, it's not possible. Yeah, but she may. Okay. She shouldn't because it's not, it's not a thing to be done. But she could. And though she may. So, he doesn't tie up the illustration with a padlock to suggest that once a woman can successfully forget her suckling child, God can successfully forget you. He draws a human illustration. He shows you, you see, it is not normal for a mother to forget her suckling. The way I designed it, a woman should not abandon her child. But you see, there are circumstances where she would. And even though I'm using that as an example of how I will not abandon you, there's how finite the example is because you are human you will do what humans do and where you become human is the end of the example I'm giving you so where the example ends what I used the example to teach you will not end do you understand I'm using the example of how devoted a mother is to her child that she's breastfeeding to tell you how devoted I am to you that I'm breastfeeding El Shaddai Right? I'm using this example to show you how I'm breastfeeding you and I cannot abandon you. Until I win you. By the time I win you, what are you receiving? Adoption. But that's by the way. So I, can, I cannot stop breastfeeding you until you come of age. And your coming of age is when you will be adopted. So until I adopt you, I'm responsible for breastfeeding you. And because that's what a woman does to a child that she's breastfeeding until the child has become a son. But then, because it's a human example, there's the possibility that this mother, being a human, can just decide I'm not doing it again and stop breastfeeding her child. That is not to suggest to you that I will stop breastfeeding you. 
So where the example ends is not where what I use the example to teach you ends. Do you understand that now? So God hates divorce because the way he designed it, a man and woman should be together and pledge allegiance to each other for the rest of their lives. But because they are human factors, husband and wife will decide to go their separate ways. Doesn't mean. Yes, sir. A woman forsaking a suckling child doesn't mean God forsaking his suckling children, even though that's what the example is meant to typify. A man divorcing his wife doesn't mean that God will divorce us because even though that is what that thing is supposed to typify. The scripture doesn't even show you any place where you saw God writing a name into the book of life. It talks about people whose names were not found in the book of life. That psalm he quotes is where David was angry, one of his annoying emotional moments, where he was talking about his enemies and said, blot their name out from the book of life. The way he was saying, arise, oh God, let your enemies be scattered, let them flee before you like chaff before the wind. This was David's emotional moment. The only other instance where his part in the book, that's what God said in Revelation, his part will move, will be somebody who tramples upon the salvation plan of God in Christ, aka rejecting the salvation. Yes. His part, not his name, his part. Was his name ever there? Why are we filling that course? Zero consciousness. You just take one phrase, one, and we start to run around. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3. If I do not have eternal security, God has nothing to offer me. God has nothing to offer me. I'm as well ball, like, like Solomon said. Eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Ball proper. Last, last, safe. Uh, what is the shame and the heads will still pass away and still, still. so might as well ball because if it's in this life alone I have hope in Christ I'm miserable okay I'm miserable I am okay I know let me enjoy this miserable life God ain't got nothing to offer me he can keep all he's giving if I can lose it that's a Trojan gift Seventeen. Ephesians 3.17 it's, it's actually 20 I need but I need to build up to it. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. Nineteen. To know the love of God which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Believe it or not, all we're talking is, is like I said, it centers around possibility consciousness. Yes. To know the love of Christ 
which cannot be known. Passes is the word hupabalo from two words, hyper. So you get the word hyper from. And the word below, which means to throw. Hooper below, H-U-P-E-R-B-A-L-L-O. Hooper below, Greek compound word. It is a conjunction of two words, hyper, which also gives you the word hype, and below. In which case, hooper below would mean to take something and throw it beyond where it ordinarily can go. Yeah? Hooper, below. To throw something beyond yes, sir. its capacity. So picture this cost of short put. Mm-hmm. Where you're throwing something and the average world record is, I don't know, maybe let's say 16 meters, for instance. Which is a long distance in the, in the world of, of short put and discus. Javelin, what was your average throw distance? 35. Do you remember a world record in your time? In the game. What? 55. And that was a world record. 55 meters. Throw. Javelin throw distance. 55 meters. In which case, who Pablo would mean to throw it 5,000 meters or five or 50 kilometers. Does that make sense? If 55 meters is the natural world record. No, world record. To who Pablo that javelin be to throw it beyond where it can be retrieved. Does that make sense? Or you hit that golf ball into the heavens and that's it. You keep your eye in the heavens and you're coming down. And it's not anywhere within visible distance. That's who Pablo. Paul uses that word to explain that you should know what cannot be known because when you throw it, it breaks the breaking of 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 the breaking infinite more times of a world record. So he describes God's love. That's why he comes from width, height, depth, breath. You follow me now? Width, length, depth, height. Width, length, height, and depth. I'm not even explaining. What I'm trying to say, if so, you see the hyphen there. Just, just leave it. Leave it. To, to. That's that's how Paul is feeling. That you will, that you will know this love. That passes. Knowledge. The remit where this love exists, the stretch, the scope of this love. You cannot even grasp it. When you have stretched your imagination, stretch some more. (laughs) 
and you stretch and stretch because it's hope of a law. To find this love, we have to stop the game of this golf and call a search party of all eternity to go and look for the ball. This javelin that David threw now, both the umpires, all the sensors, all the other athletes, plus all the stadiums across, stadia is the plural of stadium, across the world, plus all the spectators and onlookers on, in heaven and on earth would have to leave this game and go out and search for this javelin before we find where the javelin stopped and measure how long to know what he scored in this game. That's who Pablo. So now it's, it's, it's no more about the javelin. It's not about this, 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 this golf course game. Something has happened. The thing is, we can't even move on from this game. Because we need to measure what was just played. The measurement now is a problem. Because we don't have the apparatus. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the resources or the capability. to measure this through. So I've said width, I've said length, I've said breadth, I've said height, but I haven't scratched this, the surface of this love of this great God. Who can divorce you? Duh. Width, you didn't grasp. Length, you didn't grasp. Depth, you didn't grasp. Breath. More for you? And Paul is praying. Are you, are you here today? I almost don't know. Paul is praying that you should know what is too hype for you to know. Oh, I pray that you will know what passes knowledge? It passes knowledge. Because if our javelin distance for our games are, the stadium in which we were playing it, the track ends. Where the track ends is the perceived stretch of a javelin throw. So let's say 200 meters. Yeah. I mean, just you know, hypothetically. Yeah. In fact, let's say one kilometer. Yeah. Just in case the sons of Anak show up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let, let, let's, let's say one kilometer. Yes. So certain aircrafts that need certain amounts of thrust at certain weight and displacement of gravity cannot use or land at certain airports. Do you understand? Because there is a finite measurement for the engagement of a particular thing. Are you following me? If your car is rated 260 kilometers, it will not go 280. Flow it all you want. 
it will not go to 80. Except if you add a turbo boost and add another switch and give it another, say, 200 or 400 horsepower, even at that, there is a limit. Yeah, a Camry engine will never race like a Ferrari. Tune it all you want. There is a limit. Even the limit has not been reached. The limit that has been set has not been reached. How much more surpassed? What we think a thing should be able to do, it has not done. Your one kilometer javelin throw, your 14,000, 1400 feet airport runway, your 280 kilometers an hour at 5,000 revs per minute, turbocharged engine. Never maxed it. And then Paul tells you, when you have maxed everything you can measure, you have not started to comprehend the love of God. And then I'm not praying for you. And I'm not praying for you to finish your speedometer. I'm not praying for you to not miss your runway when you are taking off. I'm not praying for you to not finish your javelin throw distance. What I'm praying for you for is that you would enter what this measurement cannot capture. I'm praying for you to drive at a distance, at a speed that no vehicle engine has capacity for. We are measuring horsepower. It's not even horses I can use to measure this power. So Paul is praying for the impossible. What Paul is praying for is not possible. There is no human permutation that can deliver to you what cannot be delivered to you. It is hyperbolo. Where we have thrown this thing to, no measurement can retrieve it. So this love I'm asking God to give you knowledge of. You can't even get it. It's not possible. I'm asking God, asking. Yeah, I think it's for 14. It says, for this reason I bow my knee in prayer. So he's asking, he's solicited that God should show you what you cannot get. What you have, but the understanding of it, you can't get. So what Paul is introducing here is a concept that is unattainable and inachievable. 
And the person that has said to you, hide with length, breath, depth. The person that has said to you, to, that I'm praying for you to know what surpasses knowledge. It's clear the person knows that this thing cannot work. He has told you that where we have thrown, where we have thrown this thing. The, 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 the stretch of what you have in Christ. Every good thing, Philemon says, that is yours in Christ Jesus. All that pertains to life and godliness. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The love of God that cannot be known. But I'm praying that you should know it. So for this thing that is impossible to to be achievable, we have to introduce an alien consciousness of what is possible. We have to add to you something that has the capacity to grasp hopabalo. What does Paul then, intro- because he's the one that told you, I want you to know what you cannot know. This is the backdrop that leads to verse 20. Now to him who is possible. So you can pick verse 20. Is that he was able to do? No, 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 no. Paul is coming from a place of letting you know what I'm even trying to get God to give you, to show you. You cannot know it. You cannot get it except you come in contact with his ability. Because he is able, do not mean, to do exceedingly are you following it now abundantly I see that's not enough above all that we can want stop ask go back to verse 14 ask that's what we are for this reason I bow my knees to the father for Lord Jesus Christ go on from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he will grant you This was Paul's asking. <laughs> Are you following it? That was, that was his request. Grant you to know riches, glory, inheritance, sins, height, width, depth, length. All of this, even when you see height, you have not seen it. What cannot be known? But then, hey, this one I'm asking him to give you what you cannot know. I have to introduce to you he who makes it possible to do the impossible. Now to him who is able. That thing that cannot be known can be known. When you are in the know of how it can be known. Conscious of the possible. Possibility. Consciousness. So what is God's ability in you for? To unlock possibilities that are otherwise. 
If his spirit dwells in you, does it? Why are you limited by what is possible? When the ability of God in you opens you up to Hupabalo. Why can't you even hit 36 meters if your last throw was 35? When he that is in you enables a throw that cannot be measured. Why can't you just simply finish a game, a simple game of golf? When he that is in you is such that you hit that ball you will travel around the earth five times around its axis and you haven't found where it's traveling to. Because the wind blows where it listeth. You don't see where it's coming. You don't see where it's going. You only hear the sound of it. Such is the manner of a man led, carried by the Spirit. The Spirit of God on your inside introduces you to territories that have been uncharted. The Spirit of God in you is not a survival spirit. The Spirit of God in you is a maximal impact spirit. Christ in you is not forgetting by. Are you, are you hearing me today? Christ in you is not for getting by. It's not for just coasting your way through life and hoping it doesn't take you down. The Spirit of God in you opens you up to all God is able to do. Paul knew it. He said now to him who is able to do exceedingly. Abundantly. Above all, we can ask or think. That means as crazy as your imagination is, it is the boy's quarters of what God can do. Me, Alexander, I'm not afraid to imagine. I'm not afraid to dream. My thoughts are unhinged. My thoughts are so unhinged. Because when I have finished picturing where I want to go and come back to start, it doesn't scratch the surface of the ability and the possibility of God. I dream hard. Because God is not obligated to my imagination. He's obligated to where my imagination stops. Now to him who is able to do what you ask. Now to him who is able to do what you imagine. So really, God never begin work until after my worst imagination. <laughs> if you can measure it, it is finite. It is just below something you threw. And God is not shining in that territory just yet. Because without God, you can hit 35 meters. Without God, you can hit 55 meters. Without God, you can hit a, a, a record. So God is shining in charted territory. There's no glory for God 
in areas where everybody else is making progress and shining. So you want to manifest the fullness of God, become apostolic in nature. <laughs> Begin to break. And so I look at you guys and I'm wondering, are these people getting what I'm teaching them? Because if you get it and you apply this to one idea, one, one, the nations will gather at your feet in this city. One idea. Say, Lord, what is the hupabalo in this? I've said it to you guys like a broken record. Everybody's sowing, you are sowing. Then what? Yeah. Then what? Then what? Everybody's cooking, you're cooking. Then what? Everybody's doing makeup, you're doing makeup. So what? Oh, my, my products are so unique. There's people that companies do makeup products for just for them to use. Yes, you order it, they make it for you. So what is unique about your product? Why should everybody leave them and come to you? There has to be a hyperbolic dimension to your grasping of what God is able to do. So you see this love of God, these things that God has made for you in Christ, you have to go into hyperbolic territory. To unleash that possibility in your life. God doesn't run impossible territories. Oh, come on. Come on, man. We are falling over healing. Healing. Miraculous. An angel, without God's permission, shot Zechariah's mouth for questioning an innocent question. I've been here old. The idea for child, I mean, I've, I've, I've relegated myself and Elizabeth, we're just going to be here and just love God. Come and trouble me, as old as I am. Gabriel vex. I am Gabriel. Yeah. That stands in the presence of the Lord. You question me. Because you question me, you will not talk till John is born. Gabriel I am Gabriel. Who stands? You know sometimes when I, when I say some things, it sounds sweet, like I'm telling you a story I just made up. Until you now see it in the scripture. I'm Gabriel. Who stands the of God? I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Uh-huh. But behold, you'll be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you do not believe my words. Which will be fulfilled in their own time. Gabriel, the ex. Angel. Definitely. So what is special about making somebody mute or making them talk? It's not special, sir. Why? Because angels do it. Yes. To look into what we have. So what is the miraculous? Charted territory. There's nothing special about making somebody receive sight. Moses' rod fell on the ground. You know, with Aaron. Turned to a snake. Aaron was like, yeah, my big bro got it. And Pharaoh's magicians, almost 40 of them, cast their rods on the ground. 40 different types of snakes vipers, cobras, pythons, rattlesnakes. What was the Hupabalo territory there? Aaron's rods swallowed all the snakes and did not grow in size. Because by the time you swallow up to 40 snakes, you become a plank. 
Yeah, no more rod. Just think I'm now. Think I'm. By the time one snake eats 40 snakes. By the time you come back, you're like an anaconda, no? By the time we touch that big snake, you should become like a big mahogany log. But it eats up all the snakes and it picks it up by the tail of same rod. Okay, okay, now that's something. Guys, be conscious of the energy that's in you. So next time I tell you only you can change your world, you understand? Only you. Only you. Why is it that it's always unbelievers that make the money and believers only have Jesus? Who told you that having Jesus equals to having no money? Sir, the wisdom of Jesus equals to making money. I say with no apology. The gospel, hey, the spirit of God in you, Christ in you, the possibility of God in you, the wisdom of God in you, the knowledge of God in you, the hopabalo capacity of God in you. You cannot prosper. Something's wrong with you. Nobody did it from your village. They went to sow seed. They went to carry money in an envelope and speak to it. Because that's a shrine move. That's a shrine move. I said that is a shrine move. Shrine move, shrine move, shrine move, shrine move, shrine move. Where's your offering? Talk to it. Send your offering on assignment. Can you hear yourself? Does that sound scriptural to you? Send your offering on assignment. Talk to it. Money. What is your hupabalo revelation? Of all that is yours in Christ Jesus. When Paul established a scenario that was not possible, he introduced a God that is possible. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm done. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm done. When Paul established a scenario that wasn't possible, he introduced a God yes, sir. that is possible. When Paul established a scenario that wasn't possible, he introduced the God that is possible. You can't get it. There is how you can get it. It's impossible. But as how it's possible. It's supernatural. But there's the God that's who Pabalo is nothing to. He straddles all eternity. He is the very absence of measurement. He's the very absence of limits. He's the very absence of limitations. He's the very absence of constraints. He's the very absence of finiteness, finiteness. He's 
infinitesimal in nature. And he's your father, and he's in you, which means you can act as him now. Now, in every area of your life, your job, your plumbing, your plastering, your painting, your, your, your graphic designing, your carpentry, your hair making, there is a hupabalo moment you come into where you step from the realm of what you are able to do because of your training and your knowledge and enter the realm of what God in you is able to do. Because Leo was just a regular guy. A holy regular guy. The Spirit of God came upon them for artisanship. And their story changes. Now to him. You see, the possibilities of him. Now to him who is able to do. How is he able to do what is Hupabalo? According to the power that works in you. So what is the consciousness or the scope of the power that works? Sit down and harness it. See what you release. Sit with it and ask the Spirit of God to breathe upon it. It's one thing to be mediocre. It's another thing to make excuses for being mediocre. And it, and it happens around here. There's a lot of people that think they are cool. Even here in church, you think you're cool and tight. You think you've got your game going on. Meanwhile, you're a, you a low heater compared to what God wants to do, what God can do in you. A small timer. Small timer. There's more. And that more doesn't come by effort. Comes by consciousness that God is able to take me into the Hupabalo. Paul understood that when he said, I wish he would show you what you cannot see. But you can see it because he's able to do more than what I'm asking. I'm asking for height, width, depth, and I'm asking for what cannot be seen. And he's able to do more than I'm asking, even though what I'm asking is what cannot be possible. But I'm asking for what is not possible. God is not just only able to do what is not possible. He's able to do more than what is not possible. Not to him who's able to do more. What I'm already asking is more. Are you following now? What I'm already asking, high death, weak, what cannot be measured, what surpasses knowledge, is already out of imagination. And God is able to do more than that more that I'm asking. According to his power that works in you. So all that God will use to bring out what is not possible is in you. So here's the interesting thing. In the, in the makeup of a believer, there is the mashup. If you know anything about modern music, there's something called a mashup. In, in the makeup of a believer, there's a mashup of both what is possible and what isn't. In the matrix of a believer, there's the mashup of what is impossible, what can never be achieved, and what can be achieved. There's that mashup. So by the renewing of your mind and by coming into consciousness, what is possible takes over what you think cannot be achieved. That's when that water starts to purify, the water of your imagination, as you're pouring the word into it. And the impurity of what is impossible begins to go out and begins to be saturated in your matrix by the possibilities of God inside you. 
the mashup starts to clean up. But in the matrix of your mind of, of the mind of a believer, there's a mixture at all times of ah, hey, no go walk. And inside that mix is the possibility of now to him who is able to do. Now, what separates this mix for you is your consciousness. Because consciousness is a mind thing. And that's where this mashup is. So let this awaken in you an incurable understanding of the consciousness of what is possible. Incurable understanding of the consciousness of what is possible. Through him who takes you through Hupabalo waters. Have you learned anything today? Now to him who is able to do. This love that cannot be known, he can show you. Everything that is yours in Christ Jesus, he can unleash in you. Every spiritual blessing that is yours in heavenly places, he can pull out of you. The communication of your faith being effectual for every good thing that is yours, for the acknowledging, every good thing that is yours in Christ Jesus, Philemon 6. So let your consciousness from now on be Lord Jesus. I am walking into the acknowledgement of every good thing that is mine in Christ Jesus. I'm unleashing the possibility of God who makes impossible things look like a walk in the park. Jesus told them when they were asking about how the rich can be saved, he said with men, it's impossible. But with God, nothing. He said with God, nothing. With God, nothing. Shall be impossible. You can, you can take a few moments to, you know, write, bow your heads, you know, pray, thank him, whatever response, whatever response is, is coming naturally to you by the Spirit of God. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.